Hello, lovelies. Welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I'm your host with the most, Casey Covington, and I'm back with you on the Outsports Podcast Network. I'm here with a special guest for the 100th episode celebration. Welcome to the podcast, Brian Bell. It's only fitting that I hit my inhaler as soon as you introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> That was your choice, not mine. <laughs> I know. I, I was trying to hold off on it, but it was needed. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Casey. Well, <laughs> can you believe it's already been 100 episodes? God. I mean, can I believe it's been 100 episodes? Yes and no. <laughs> um, yes, because uh, I... I am constantly reminded that I've been doing this for almost two years, and I think that that is um, exactly the length, I guess, for to make it feel like you would hit that. But also, like thinking back on it, like I don't know, like when this whole thing started, I I saw that as like a thing off in the distance, but didn't really think too much about hitting it. <laughs> really, it's it's wild, honestly. Yeah, it feels like it hasn't been nearly that long since uh, we first did that first uh, intro show. Yeah, I know. I was actually going back and listening to that today <laughs> prior to us recording, just because, like, I was curious to go back and, and see, like, where we started from with that first episode, that Queer Wrestling 101 <laughs> episode that we did. And I, I don't know, like, I... It, it was interesting to go back and listen to, like, me stating the goals of the show in a way, just because, like... I feel like we've very much stuck to it and I'll be frank like I hadn't really thought about what I said in that first episode for a <laughs> while but it's nice to know that I've stayed on brand considering that what I pledged for this show to be at the very beginning so uh, could you remind the listeners of what that pledge was yeah so basically it was all about um, exploring the uh, the people and the events that um kind of have made up this embracing uh, or or kind of increased presence of LGBTQ identities within pro wrestling and to cover the industry from an LGBTQ perspective. And I feel like that's what we've really done for the most part on the show. Not even for the most part, that's hedging something there. No, that's exactly <laughs> what we've done. You know, I, I'm proud to say that we've only had, I'm racking my brain here, we've only had two cishet people on the show ever <laughs> three there we go three cishet people on the show ever um but even then like the people those people were from you know underrepresented communities or were speaking to things that were specific to the lgbtq topics in in pro wrestling as well mm-hmm. so like i feel like we've very much stayed uh, tried and true to what we aim to do. And I don't think that's something that every show can say for itself in a way. Has there been anything that's changed since um, you started the podcast till now? Well, I mean, we recorded the first podcast in our bedroom at our old apartment. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that like all of the settings have changed multiple times. Um, and it's about to change too, because we're about to move again. Um, you can't see, but my desk is like half broken down as we're recording this right now. Um, but I don't know, like in terms of like, a 
like a motive or anything like that. Not really. You know, it's still the same as same as it was at the, on the first day. It's like elevating voices within the community, highlighting creators, events, wrestlers, journalists, you know, people tangentially related to pro wrestling from LGBTQ circles that are lending their voice to the progression of this art form in a extremely positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, really, it's just like all this window dressing that's changed. Like, like where we rec- we've recorded, um, <laughs> the more more like people that have come on the show that I didn't necessarily expect to have on, just because of my own social anxieties or because <laughs> I thought they might be like too big for for uh, a little startup podcast about queer people in pro wrestling, which is already a niche within a niche audience in some ways, even though that is definitely breaking out further and further into the mainstream, as evidenced by the Polyam Cult Party 4 trending number four in the country <laughs> over the weekend. Second straight time the Polyam Cult Party has done that. Shout out Envy Young. But, like, no, I, I think the focus has stayed the same. Um, and my confidence, I think, in producing the show has gotten much more high, I yeah. would say. Which is something for me. <laughs> Why do you say that um, confidence has grown? I think because, like I said before, when, when we started, when I started the show, um, you know, I had a list of people that I wanted, mm-hmm. and then I had a list of people that 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 broke down along two paths as well, like a list of people that I wanted that I felt like I could get on the show, and then a list of people that I thought I would love to have them, but. Never in a million years are they going to pop up on this show. <laughs> um, and, and I will admit, a lot of that does come from my own insecurities, I think. Um, you know, there's I still get some anxiety when, like, reaching out to people to be on the show, even though, like, I don't think I've had anybody specifically turned down coming on the podcast since I've started it. Mm-hmm. There was one person, I, I but that was for a completely different reason and i'll keep that name to myself at the moment but it wasn't it wasn't a bad reason it was just um well well no that was the okay you're right i know who you're what you're about to mention um (laughs) that was okay this so there were two instances one where someone just outright refused and that person was totally positive thing um and that person will remain nameless for the moment just because that had nothing to do with like any ill intent or anything like that it was just like eh, didn't work for mm-hmm. for the circumstances, but you mentioned you're. I know you were about to mention you're about to mention the um, the whole waiver situation where I, you know, ended up doing a show that was originally scheduled to be an interview with them, um, that didn't happen and turned into a uh, probably the, one of the most emotional episodes of the show that I've done, honestly. Um, yeah. So I don't know, and in, in that way. That I that turned lemons into lemonade, I think. Yeah. You're referring to the episode where you came out as non-binary? Yep. Yep. Yep, that's <laughs> the one. The, the one where I discussed my, my my traumas and came out as non-binary. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, I felt like that was a, a good exercise to kind of work through that situation there, personally. Um, but yeah, like I, like I said, that some of that anxiety still persists here and there. But knowing that some of those names that were on that list where I never thought they would come on the show 
and having some of those people come on the show really helped um, undercut some of those anxious feelings going forward. Mm. Like having Sunny Kiss or having Nyla Rose or even that like Effie and, and, and MV Young and Billy Dixon, like these people, even though like we were chatting like way before Butch versus Gore or the Polyam Cult parties or the big gay brunches were, were start popping off and we're, and we've seen this huge influx in the presence of queer people in pro wrestling based off of those events alone. Like even before all of them, I still saw those people as, um, ones that were like, I, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give this the time of day. And I don't think it has anything to do with the podcast itself, because I mean, let's be real. How many podcasts out there are explicitly just talking about queer pro wrestling and why wouldn't queer people within that world want to come on a queer pro wrestling podcast to talk about queer shit? You know, <laughs> like it all logically and never it always matches up differently than how I interpret it myself. But you know, I think having them on and having those shows be successful and having them come back. You know, we've had Nyla on multiple times. Billy's probably been like the most um, often recurring guest on the show over the past hundred episodes. Mm. I don't know. Like it's just been. It's been really awesome to see that um, I don't have to feel that way about this anymore. I can I can reach out to people that I felt like wouldn't have wanted to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And just kind of on this topic, um, I feel like you've been able to be really vulnerable in moments on the show, and um, something this field still is pretty hyper-masculine where vulnerability probably is not seen as important, not not necessarily within uh, the types of, of shows that you show me, of course, but I'm just wondering um, what's allowed you to be so open and vulnerable on the show? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I think... I think the main thing really is wanting to be as genuine as possible mm-hmm. to the audience that listens to the show, you know, because I think that in pro wrestling, being genuine or being authentic um, in how you come across, whether it be like in the ring or um, on the mic or in like interview settings or anything like that, like it's it's a vital thing. You have to have an authenticity to you for people to believe in you. And I truly believe that translates beyond just pro wrestling to a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't think it would, obviously I don't want to share like 100% of everything because there are, there are some things I keep private. Right, obviously. of course. But if there are moments where... I can like share part of myself that I know resonates with other people or, you know, it kind of runs along the lines of stuff that I've talked about with past guests before, you know, if they were willing to like open up about themselves in that way, who be it for me to keep that stuff bothered in for myself too. I understand that it's not a hundred percent across the board for everybody. You don't have to be like super open about yourself, but for me, I think there's power in sharing those moments with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say there's a lot of strength in being able to be vulnerable. Oh, for sure. Well, 
is there what's the major factor that continues to motivate you for developing the show there there's a number of them i think the most prominent ones would be one i simply enjoy making the show even though it can be a stressor yeah, all times. those stressful nights <laughs> there coming are, to bed at 5 a.m. <laughs> there are many, many uh, weeks where that I produce this show where, um, you know, whether it be like trying to make sure that I have people booked to come on or, you know, trying to remind people that they're scheduled to come on <laughs> or, you know, my own technical mishaps or, you know, sometimes it's just straight up like depression related pro- procrastination that mm-hmm. pushes things to that limit. There's pull back the curtain a little bit on the production of this show. I I use we a lot on Twitter. And I use um we a lot on this show. We refers to me because I'm the I'm the only one that's making this this thing. Um this is very much a one person show. Um I I rec- I interview people, I record it, I edit it, I write all of the the social stuff, at least outside of... I write all the social stuff on my Twitter account and on the LGBT in the Ring Twitter account. And, um, you know, I communicate some of that stuff to the Outsports account, and they promote the show that way too. So, um, I do everything here, and that causes me to have some very late Wednesday nights, like you alluded to earlier. <laughs> Um, I remember back this this year WrestleMania week, you know, we we'd originally scheduled to have all of those shows come out on the same day, but I was up till five a.m. getting the ones that did come out that first week after WrestleMania up, uh, which omitted two shows that I was still wanting to put up there, but they just could not get them done. Well, one of those was my own. Uh shit going on so because i know i delayed on recording that first week yeah but i mean even then like if even if we had recorded that that episode that week which was the the two episodes were the uh for the culture and the alley rally cats real hot girl shit episodes mm-hmm. that we did you know even if we had recorded those that week and they'd gone up with everything else i wouldn't have had those out before like i would have been up till 7 a.m more than likely <laughs> You know, and by that point, that's just the next day. And we're just rolling right. back into the work day. Baby. I mean, 5 a.m. is basically the next day anyway. Uh, I got four hours. I'm good. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but like it, it, it does create some late nights. And, and but even even with all that stuff, um, I still thoroughly enjoy doing the show. Um, and And I can't imagine a week without doing it mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I know then, we're going to be on vacation next week and I'm like what are you going to do to record can you just take a week off we nah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that details on that will be forthcoming yeah. on what that episode's going to be we'll we'll see what happens there but um but yes yeah we're as we record this we're a couple of days away from flying out for Paris is bumping so we're going to have to figure out or there we go using that we again. I'm gonna have to figure out what to do <laughs> for that for that show coming up uh, while we're out on the East Coast there. Um, but you know, and additional to just my own desire to do the show for for continuing it, um, I think the response from listeners 
has been amazing. And, and I think that that has shown the real value of being able to promote the voices that we do on the show and to be able to speak to the topics that we do on the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this show kind of got in, not necessarily a hundred percent on the ground floor because I think the push was already happening before the show started, but we've definitely been here for the boom, the, the initial boom of the LGBTQ pro wrestling circle. Yeah. Um, you know, all the events that have happened doing the QWI, um, the increased presence I have on outsports covering the industry as well. Like it all feeds into this, the creation of this thing that a lot of people have latched onto, whether they be, you know, longtime pro wrestling fans or new to, to the, the sport or the art form. Um, they find something that welcomes them into a community through, the queerness within pro wrestling and being able to give those people that create uh, those platforms, another platform to speak to them um, is, is super valuable. And I'm also going to be selfish and say like, I've really enjoyed getting to know some of the people that I've had on this show yeah, absolutely. Over, the, over the past uh, almost two years now. So I think that, that, that aids to the, adds to the, to the desire as well. Just cause like, I like being able to, to just hit up some people every once in a while and just, you know, chat. I don't do it as often as I might like because I'm always moving, but you know, <laughs> like there are people that, you know, that I really have enjoyed getting to know. Um, the, even the little bit that I have with some of them. So that, that's always, that's always a fun thing for me. What's been the most memorable episode for you so far? Hmm. Like, are we talking like overall or just like, because I think if we're talking overall, like I think the, the episode where I came out for me personally is probably one of the more significant ones. But as I say on the show, like I don't like putting myself at the forefront, even though I I am the guest this week. Um, <laughs> that was my idea, though. Yeah. Like this is the only episode that you can say where somebody else worked on it. <laughs> you've you've been on the mic before, yes, but not developing questions. Okay, I'll, okay, I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. So, um, but beyond the episodes that are, that were just me going solo, um, I think, you know, one, even though the audio is terrible and that is on all on me, um, (laughs) the first episode we had with a guest back episode two with Kiara Hogan from impact wrestling, um, detailing everything about the amazing, you know, LGBTQ pride weekend that she had in Chicago during bound for glory weekend there in 2019, you know, that I felt like set a huge bar for me because like my first guest was someone who's on a televised wrestling product. Uh-huh. Um and also someone who was coming off like a major company really supporting their LGBTQ identity in the way that they did that impact did with Kiara. Um it also kind of set me up to be like, okay, this is what this can be. You know, like this is what the show can be. It can it can have guests like this. It can ha- talk about these things like this. It really helped me work out a lot of the kinks, even though that was probably the worst audio of any episode that we had on the show, <laughs> because um, my mic setup had not been uh, correctly uh, put together yet, and so I had to record that via phone. Oh with God, Kiera. I remember that. Yeah, and I felt really bad about that because, like, that interview. I really love that interview, but it's hard for you and me to go back and listen to because the audio is so bad on it. Yeah. Um. 
So, Kiara, if you ever want to come on the show again, we have better audio this time, I swear. So, um, but yeah, that one was very special to me just from uh, like building out what this thing could be. Um, having Billy and, and Low McGrath, um, Billy Dixon and Low McGrath from Butch vs. Gore was really big because that was the first big event that popped up. Um, after the show started and, mm-hmm. you know, I've really enjoyed building a relationship with them, you know, around this stuff and, and, you know, so much so that we're flying out to see Billy's Paris's bumping show. Yeah. You know, our first show since that Butch vs. Gore <laughs> show a couple of years, uh, a couple of years, Jesus Christ. It feels like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little over a year and a half ago. So, um, yeah, like that's been really awesome. Um, both times that I've had either surreal on have been amazing. Um, Dark Sheik has been amazing. Bambina. Bambina! <laughs> Bambina is so fucking rad. Um, I, I love talking to her because I love her perspective on pro wrestling. Her and Sheik, like they... Sheik is Bambina's mentor um, in pro wrestling. They just have so such a great perspective on the structure of pro wrestling and the sort of metaphysical idea of what pro wrestling could be like whenever Bambina on this show told me that, that she views different promotions in pro wrestling as like alternate universes, Mm. something just galaxy brain clicked in my head. Like, (laughs) Oh my God, that is exactly what this is. That's exactly what it is. You're somebody different in each one of these things. They're alternate, they're alternate worlds in a comic book. Um, so, so awesome. Um, Effie and Envy Young have been great. I was really had the, glad that I had the chance to interview Sophie King early on in the show because you know they were the, one of the first non-binary wrestlers that I came across, mm. and being able to have that perspective so early on in the show I think was really important. And hopefully Sophie is uh, feeling better and getting back uh, towards possibly an ring return here soon. Um, and then God, there, there was one more. In terms of ones that stick out, Don't Die Miles is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because, um, you know, one, Miles is such a sweetheart. <laughs> he really is. And you know, I don't, I think that he's one of the most like universally loved people in in independent world, uh, pro wrestling world. And, you know, after that, we wrap that interview, um, you know, he was sitting there with his partner, um, Jay, Jay, the fan. And, um, you know, she said like she, both miles and her like thanked me profusely for creating the most like welcoming and accommodating and positive interview environment that miles has ever had. Mm. And like that stuck with me for the longest time because like that's exactly what I want to do with these I want to make people feel comfortable talking about these issues because these things are hard to talk about sometimes you know mm-hmm. there have been many conversations about you know experiencing transphobia experiencing homophobia um, bi erasure queer erasure queer black erasure these com- like these things have been talked about on the show and those things can be un- uncomfortable and very um, vulnerable to discuss and you know you can't really have healthy conversations around that stuff without creating a welcoming environment and to have them openly tell me that 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 was that that interview was what it was like that like told me that I'm doing the right thing in a lot of ways 
Well, I was going to ask you what your proudest moment was also in your podcast. <laughs> I feel like a lot of those um, experiences for you kind of subs that up. But is there anything else that comes to mind when you think of like pride in the show and mm. not just rainbow pride? Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> um, let me think. I know for one that pops off right immediately is Sunny Kiss. Because that was the first time that a company reached out to me mm. to have someone on the show. Um, yeah, AEW reached out to me to ask if they wanted to have if if I wanted to have Sunny on the show. Which yes, of course. <laughs> so how do you not jump on on having her on the show? For God's sake, you know, like oh no, I'm going to turn down the interview with this amazingly athletic, gender fluid pro wrestler who fucking blows everyone away every time that she comes to the ring you know i'm gonna turn down the interview with the person who's getting jim fucking ross to like watch pronoun usage and to use the cor- and use correct pronouns like that's just, that's the sort of thing that like i'm not gonna do that the same goes for nyla you know that was another thing where aw reached out mm-hmm. um, sorry my nose is itchy um and i think seeing that aw was willing to reach out to a queer media outlet for their for their um, queer wrestlers to be able to speak on these things was a very important thing for me to see in that um, the impact that the show is having and, and the presence that the show has grown. Um, outside of you know that, I would say, um, hmm, like I knew that these two questions would be difficult mm-hmm. just because it seems like every time you're coming off of a podcast interview, you are always super excited. I mean, yeah, like they're, they, <laughs> they, I haven't had a, a bad one yet, you know, um, at least the interview hasn't been bad. Um, you know, so like I've really enjoyed that. Um, Mariah Marino is another one that pops out of my head. You know, I mean, even though that was like last week's episode, like Mar- <laughs> Mariah Marino is, you know, fucking queer wrestling royalty. You know, and not just because like she was one of the first out trans women in pro wrestling, but for her tenacity and her perseverance and to continue to be out and proud throughout her entire decade plus run. And I am extremely happy that we were able to have her on the show, especially just a couple of weeks before she's about to get all of her honors <laughs> at, at Paris's bumping. So like, yeah, like, that was super dope. I think another one, another selfish one, was um, the Butch versus Gore recap show that we did. Just oh, because, <laughs> huh? I said ah. Yeah, <laughs> just because like one, I like having, I like whenever we are able to do the show together, and we we've done, you know, we've covered a couple of different events um, on the show, um, but Butch versus Gore was special because one, obviously, like that was the last one we went to for a while, mm-hmm. but also that was the first real taste of what an all queer event could feel like live yeah absolutely and i'm super excited to go to paris's bumping with you yeah exactly you know i think that set a precedent going forward and watching the big gay brunches for him for here at my desk and watching all the poly and cult parties like those all look like they're the same kind of environment um and i wish i could have been there for all of them because like i'm i'm, I'm itching for that butch versus gore high again mm-hmm. well you talked about it a little bit before, but um, what are 
what have been some of the challenges in um, developing and putting out this podcast on a regular basis? Hmm. Outside of like being up till at least 3 a.m. every Wednesday night? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think overcoming my own insecurities. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I talked about it previously, but like there, there is a lot of anxiety around reaching out to guests and like cold DMing people or cold emailing people, mm-hmm. which, you know, as a journalist, it's a, t- it's, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny joke I get to mention to people, <laughs> like being a journalist with social anxiety, you know, but at the end of the day, like I still have to overcome it, and I'm glad that I've been able to 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 get the people that I have had on the show. There are definitely some people that I still feel that anxiety around asking to be on the show, and that's why I haven't asked. And you haven't gotten <laughs> a message from me. It does not mean I don't want you on the show because there's uh, we've done a hundred episodes now. There's still a long list of people that I have to get to. Like I did the QWY 100 this last year, and I don't think I've had but maybe like a little over half of them on the show. Mm. So like, and the list keeps growing. So, like, there's definitely a lot more people that I want to have on the show. Um, and the more I do it, the more I'm able to, like, put those feelings to the side a bit and, and let, don't let them impede me. Um, try to, the other, I think the other real hindrance is just that I'm bad at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Better at it than me. I don't know, like, I mean, there's definitely difficulties here and there, but it's never been, like, butting up against, you know, anybody that's, like, been super derisive of of the show or anything like that. I've been Mm -hmm. very lucky that um, everyone at Outsports has been 100% supportive from day one and until episode 100 now of this show and what I want to do with it. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been been happy to have the autonomy that I do have to produce this show and to talk about what I want to talk about. You know, I don't think that... Oh, there are there are a lot of other places that you know have association with an outlet that have a a lot more oversight to what they do I think than than what we do here you know and that's not necessarily say that that's a bad thing but you know I'm glad that I have the autonomy to choose the topics that I want to choose that I want to talk about yeah you know it's it's why I was able to like pivot completely and and get that episode together another one I'm proud of um bringing Russell Rogue Devon Monroe and Chris Kazama together in the wake of the George Floyd murder last year and, and the protests that we saw develop over the summer, the protests that we were at here in Portland. That was know? definitely a memorable episode for me as yeah. well. And like being able to have that flexibility to pivot from whatever I had planned for that week to get that together and to talk about that or to have Emily May Heller on in the wake of the speaking out movement last year as well mm. to talk about, you know, the work that, that she's that she started up then to kind of address these issues that has been picked up by a lot of other people. You know, I know Tara Calloway, someone who I will always apologize for leaving off of the first QWI 100 to, <laughs> um, you know, Tara Calloway just recently announced a partnership with Rain in her um, uh, promotion, uh, her charity promotion, Dropkick Depression, to try and build out trainings around, you know, better equipping wrestling training schools and wrestling promotions and wrestling promoters about how to handle, you know, um, abuse and, and and create better environments for, for people coming out of that, coming out of the speaking out movement. So, you know, being able to have the flexibility of, of pivoting to covering these emerging issues is something that I greatly value. And, and I will thank Outsports till the end of uh, this show to, um, (laughs) 
to allowing me for allowing me rather um the the control that I do have to mm-hmm. put this show together. If I didn't have that control, I don't know if I would do the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself when you were first starting the show? Don't be afraid to DM Effie. <laughs> I mean, because Effie was the first one that I really struggled around. Like, Billy, there was there was some, you know, but, like, really it was, like, do I DM, do I DM Effie? Will, will Effie respond to a DM? Mm-hmm. Um, less comically, I would say, uh, advice for myself, uh, episode one would be, um, make sure your acoustics are all right. <laughs> it's like going back to listen to that first episode, like the, that bedroom was very echoey. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, but also just, just try and be more free in, in how you think that, um, you can conduct these these sort of conversations you know i think when we started the show i always say wait and whenever whenever i started the show <laughs> um it was very much more kind of patterned around specific questions and specific things mm. that you know and it had like a much more like stringent roadmap along those things um to to talk about stuff and and as i've grown with the show i've kind of converted that more to a more conversational style there's still bullet points obviously but well i always press you too i'm like what are you gonna ask me ahead of time but that's just my own anxiety stuff and that's the thing like that that's the beauty of that freedom is that like you can also tailor it to different people because some people need more structure in interviews and stuff like that some people it's very much just flip a mic on and just let it go for 45 (laughs) minutes and whatever the fuck comes out of it is usually gold you know so like it's just more a matter of just like bettering my craft and realizing that I don't have to have as many fail safes and that I can rely on just being able to have relatable conversations with the people that I'm talking to as well as sprinkling in the current event stuff that's going on with them or or whatever they have coming up you know so yeah I think that would be the main thing is just like be more comfortable in your in your skin like you have this like you you have this 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 show for a reason they wouldn't have just given you a podcast if they thought you were going (laughs) to fuck it up well now you can tell that to yourself every time you're doing this podcast i'm gonna write it on a post-it note and frame it and put it above my desk next to my polyam cult polyam cult party three poster <laughs> well if you could interview any wrestler who's passed away who would it be Ooh, i feel like the most obvious answer would probably be pat patterson just because of his legacy in terms of you know being an out gay man who basically worked himself into being a legend in this industry, both in the ring and behind the scenes in a creative capacity. Mm. Um, But I feel like Pat Patterson has been interviewed a lot. I feel like Pat Patterson has been talked about a lot and I would still love the chance. I would have loved the chance to have to speak with him. Right. Um, But I think for me, the more interesting interview personally probably would have been Chris Colt, um, who I don't, the listeners might not know who Chris Colt is. I mean, of, I don't at least, so you should tell me. <laughs> Chris Colt was a wrestler in, I want to say the late seventies into the eighties in a lot of like in the, during the territory days. 
I think he most notably worked um, or gained most notoriety in the the southeast territories, like the your I want to say like continental territory, which is like Alabama area. Um, and he was out and gay as a mm. man back during that era, and he lived a very wild lifestyle. <laughs> um, a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. Um, and ultimately, it did lead to, to his um, early death um, mm. in a lot of ways. But I would love to have spoken to him to get his perspective of being an out gay man. Um, because Pat was like out in the wrestling world. Mm. But to the rest of the world, like it was like a commonly held, a commonly known thing. But he never really officially came out publicly until 2014. Oh. Yeah. It was just a thing that was known, you know, because like... Like he, he, Pat Patterson's gay, but like he would never address it per se. Mm. Um, but Chris Colt was not that. He was very much like I'm, I'm fucking gay, <laughs> and I'm like out there and all doing all this stuff. Like and and it infiltrated into his gimmick as well back in back in those days. And it was he was just a very interesting character to learn about. And I honestly haven't learned a ton about him. I'm still like learning about Chris Colt, but mm. he seems like someone who would have been a. Um, very interesting conversation. So I guess Pat Patterson and Chris Colt would be the two most most notable ones there for me personally. Mm. Um, if we're talking non-queer wrestlers. Eh, any wrestlers in general. Well, and it's just, I mean, the show focuses on queer wrestlers. But yeah. if I had to step out of that queer spectrum for, um, for an interview, um, probably Eddie Guerrero. Why is that? Um... Well, one dude is a legend, um, gone far before he should have been gone. Mm. And, you know, I think that his life has a lot of interesting details to it. His experiences, where he worked, the sort of matches that he worked in, you know, overcoming so many different, you know, personal issues in his life to still come back and be as big as he was up until his death in WWE in 2005. Like... That dude um, was known for a long time as a wrestler's wrestler, and I don't think I've seen anybody as beloved as him post or pre his his passing in the pro wrestling world. And I just think that Eddie would have been an amazing person to to talk to and to get to know for an hour mm. at least. Yeah. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT 
and get five days free to check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, The Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Well, shifting more directly into the wrestling world, what got you into wrestling in the first place? Mm. So, I, listening back to the first episode, I did tell this story a little bit, but I will gladly uh, tell it again here. So, I got into wrestling... Um, in late 1995, like December 95, and the very first thing that I ever saw pro wrestling related that I really latched onto rather, because I think at one point I was like at a sleepover at a friend's house and that friend's dad like watched pro wrestling. And I think I caught like the tail end of the 1994 Royal Rumble, <laughs> which is real famous for like Shawn Michaels, like, like basically like only having one foot on the ground and coming back and, and surprising and winning that one like that. I saw like that moment specifically and I was like, Oh, that's a thing. Whatever. Let's go shoot paintballs. Um, <laughs> which is awesome for an eight year old to do unsupervised. Um, but it, I, the first pro wrestling thing that I really like watched, watched, uh, was an angle between gold dust and razor Ramon in, in December of 1995 and gold dust um, is a someone who, let's put it this way, it was very fitting that the first pro wrestling character I ever saw was the most queer-coded pro wrestler for that era. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always liken it to an awakening of sorts, um, wherever I, wherever I bring that up or talk about it, because, like, Goldust hooked me, and then I saw a, a so many other people on that show and that hooked me. And then I jumped over to WCW and WCW hooked me in. <laughs> like I was just, I was one of those channel flippers. Like I was flipping back and forth between raw and nitro on Monday nights and just digging what, everything that I, that I could get my hands on for, for a long time, even like a little bit of ECW. Cause like for a, for like a three month period at some point in like middle school, um, I got, our, our small town in Georgia got ECW television at like three in the morning <laughs> on one of the podunk channels that are like you always flip by because like there's nothing really on it. So like I caught a couple episodes of ECW hardcore TV in there as well. So like I really like dug into whatever I could get. I was going to video warehouse and like renting old pay-per-views. Like I probably watched every WWF and WWE, uh, WCW pay-per-view that it had happened up to that point once I did get into it. Like, it was just something... Both me and my brother were just sucked in immediately. But Goldust was my entry point. My queer dad. Mm -hmm. My queer dad of wrestling, <laughs> as opposed to my actual queer dad. What's up, dad? Um, yeah. Also, we have a guest star. <laughs> Hi, Our Max. wonderful kitty, Max. Always yes. yelling. You just love to show up on these shows. 
Well, um, moving into more modern times, just because COVID has been so wild since April of 2020, what has been your most, what, what's, what's been the most memorable show for you? I hesitate to ask for favorites just because I think that that's really hard to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's been most memorable for you? Oh, I don't know if there's like one show that is more memorable than the other. I guess that's hard to pinpoint too. <laughs> but but I think every show has had at least a few memorable moments on them. Yeah, I could see that. You know, whether it be the first Paris is bumping where you, we had Candy Lee voguing um, and blowing up the internet with that or, you know, Mariah Moreno's like sex siren thing where she got to live out her sex symbol uh, <laughs> dream for for the first time in a pro wrestling setting or uh, Billy Dixon, you know, invoking the name of Marsha P. Johnson before <laughs> like body slamming Darius Carter through a table you know like those sort of things like that stuff was awesome i mean effie's big gay brunch sunny kiss and cassandra what a fucking match dark chic and um edith surreal you know that match like really showed what that that transfer wrestlers specifically transfer wrestlers within the greater queer spectrum are are there to fucking wrestle and they can't fucking wrestle and that was a, a statement match in my mind as well um, and then, you know, seeing, um, like the, po- all the polyam cult parties have, have produced memorable match after memorable match, whether it be, you know, Erica Lee or getting her nose busted by Billy on the first one, or, um, you know, Billy and Jared having their big street fight, um, and Billy dedicating that match to the memory of Casey Michael, you know, was, was a really... Uh, emotional moment i think all the way up to like you know the third poly uncle party you had ziggy heim winning the rise championship in a moment that uh will forever stick in my mind um and then poly uncle party four just this past week <laughs> every single match was great you know every single match was great like we uh the show sponsored the molly mccoy and Atherin amata match that was the most violent thing on the show <laughs> which was outstanding um, not to say because it was violent, but just because like it was just fucking knockdown drag out. But literally every match on that show was great. Um, and then of course like you know the second big gay brunch I think was probably the most memorable performance of Billy Dixon's career to this point. Billy Dixon and AJ Gray. That match, you know, I I talked about talked with Billy about this a few weeks back on the show, but there's a reason why people coming out of WrestleMania weekend when they were talking about their favorite matches, they were ranking that Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks main event match from WrestleMania night one right there with Billy and AJ from the big K brunch. Mm. Like both matches had were steeped in meaning steeped in significance. And they were both knocked down drag out fights that had uh, some similarities across their structures as well. Um, granted uh, Bianca and Sasha did not, use light tubes in their match, but still. Um, and then outside of that, like there's been so many others, like it's hard because like the, it's hard for me to pin down because um, there have been so many shows. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we talked about, you know, privately around pride month was that like, you know, I was inundated <laughs> with stuff on during pride month. Like I had to work to keep up with it. And, um, 
that's a great problem to have, honestly, um, considering where the queer community has been with pro wrestling historically. Um, but even just from that month alone, there were so many. You know, the last Daddy Standing match with Effie and Pero was so good. Full Queer was such a fun event. You know, seeing the Shade win that Prince X of Pride Championship was outstanding. Um, Fearless with Dark, Dark Sheik Show. The the Good Housekeeping match main event there was great. Effie and Funny Bone, I need that match again. <laughs> just, just stick it in my veins. I need it. Um, and, you know, the eventual rematch of Dark Sheik and Eve the Surreal, whenever we get that, that's going to be an, another amazing match to, to watch. So mm-hmm. there's just been so much. Um, I kind of even thinking about the Juneteenth weekend stuff. Like, Black Girl Magic hasn't even debuted on IWTV yet. Mm. Um which I hope it does debut on IWTV. I guess that's not a done deal yet, but you know, Black Girl Magic is going to be is an awesome show that you know all reports are saying that is is amazing. So every show has its moment. Every show has its thing to to point to. Um, and also, I think it would be um, it's not necessarily COVID related, but it, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Nyla Rose winning the AEW Women's World Championship mm-hmm. back in February of uh, 2020 mm-hmm. because that was truly a historic moment. There's been a lot of historic moments related to queer pro wrestling over the past year, two years or so. But that was like one of the things that I, not to say that I never thought I would see it, but it's one of those things that you don't think about seeing it until it happens. And then it's just wild. You know, it was just amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there definitely was a lot that changed about the industry, especially like at the beginning of COVID, like uh, producers really had to reimagine what they could do with shows, not having audiences um, like live shows. Um, what, what are some of the changes that you enjoyed seeing over this past like year and a half plus? I really liked how the pandemic forced people to be more creative Mm-hmm. with their stuff not necessarily to say that point to directly or the uh cinematic matches that we've seen happen as they're at they as they've been coined you know uncanny attractions did a all cinematic show which was outstanding but it wasn't outstanding because it was cinematic it was outstanding because of the creativity that they used in putting that together you know we're talking about a wrestling show where logan black literally murders someone <laughs> as a mafia hitman um, CPA or formerly known as Nick Stapp, you know, starts a relationship with his phone and his phone turns into a mechanized, um, femme presenting, uh, like human and beats the shit out of him. Uh, and why, and also he ends up running into the band trapped and beating up the band trapped, um, on the streets of Brooklyn uh, Envy Young and Big Game Leroy are having video game battles on top of the roof of the Polyam <laughs> Mansion. You know they're fighting, the, they're fighting uh, in like construction areas in Brooklyn. Like it, it, not to mention like Billy and Erica and Eddie and the Bundertaker fighting on <laughs> in a rooftop bar. I will never forget Billy Dixon screaming out "My bussy" after getting <laughs> like after getting uh, hit by Erica Lee on that rooftop bar. <laughs> never ever ever, um, like. That show really pushed things, I guess was one of the first signs of pushing things in a new creative direction, in a way, for me. 
And I love the fact that we've seen that creativity continue to go forward, whether it be, you know, the mixture of pro wrestling with other nightlife scenes, such as, you know, MV Young doing his New York Fashion Week, sh- no death mat- no ring death match shows, <laughs> or, you know, MV doing the Polyam cult parties, like just throwing a uh, ring in the backyard of a Brooklyn uh, house in Brooklyn or the backyard of a trap house in Pittsburgh and just inviting his friends over uh, and, and putting a show that way. Billy mixing ballroom and pro wrestling in the way that he did with Paris bumping, mm-hmm. you know, um, like there's even down to like bringing back the twink gauntlet at the big gay brunch, <laughs> you know, like they've, they've really looked at embracing different cultures and different ideas from those cultures and melding them with pro wrestling in a way that is truly genius because they, they fit. Already, ballroom was already pro wrestling. Pro wrestling was already ballroom. Pro wrestling's already been was already drag. Drag was already pro wrestling. They all fit so well, but like no one's made those connections until the people that did did. And I really enjoy the fact that that is still continuing as we start to see fans come back to shows now. Mm-hmm. And um, not only is it continuing, but it's opened up an avenue for new people to engage with pro wrestling. In a, in a way that either, you know, they weren't interested in the super serious um, pro wrestling that is presented by a company like New Japan, per se, mm-hmm. even though Toriyano is still the GOAT. Put that belt on Toriyano, please. They've, it's given them a way to engage with pro wrestling in, in an avenue that they feel more comfortable um, opening themselves up to. And that's the beauty of it. That's what needs to happen for it to continue to grow and to sustain going forward. Right. So, yeah, it's just really the, just the increase in creativity that we've seen, especially in the independent circuit specifically. Yeah, that was, that really attracted me, especially like towards the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember MV Young. I forget who his opponent was, but I, you alluded to it, the, the rooftop uh, construction zone chasing each other through the park oh um, yes the pinky sanchez the oh, first pinky sanchez that was yes. the first uh the ring light championship match yes that first i loved one. that one so yes. much yeah so yeah right on with the creativity that people have had to um really embrace and develop during covid mm-hmm. um i was kind of hoping you would talk about that specifically when i asked just because like like the creativity aspect of it, just because like that's what's really stood out to me. Yeah, and see, that's the thing is like there's been so much that like yeah that that escaped my brain during that that whole spiel, mm-hmm. but like that was one of the very first ones at the beginning of the pandemic that really kind of set a lot of stuff into motion. And I think that's why that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, that one, and then the match that MV did with Mr. Grimm um, in the same way. It was another like filmed on the rooftop sort of more much more serious than i think Mm. the pinky match was but it was still like shot in that same style and um really kind of provided a a a schematic for what we've seen built so highly now Mm -hmm. um coming out of it well we've definitely talked a lot already about how excited we are to see paris is bumping too yes but what else are you looking forward to in wrestling later this year I want to get back to going to shows more regularly. Uh-huh. That's just me. Like, <laughs> I, like, there are so many things in July alone, or July and August alone, that I want to go to, and I know I'm not going to be able to realistically. You know, Hood Slam is coming back. 
I am very happy that I was the journalist to break that news <laughs> for the world. Um, Hood Slam is coming back on August 6th, and I want to go to that show. It's, it's already in Vegas, so- right? No, this, this was the one in Oakland. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hood Slam's in, in Oakland, but the show's already sold out. Uh, they sold out without even giving an address for where the show's going to happen yet. Jeez. That's the... There's a reason why they call Hood Slam the accidental phenomenon. Um, <laughs> but, like, I want to go to a Hood Slam show. I want to go to, you know, 5CC up in Bellingham, Washington is having an awesome show where they're going to have Bambina against Jamie Senegal in an all-trans women mm. um, highlight match. Dark Sheik is going to be on that show along with uh, her tag team partner, Anton Voorhees, as the caution. You know, they're having a number of queer people on that show. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm excited for companies here in portland to get back running again doa like i'm ready to go to a doa show again i'm ready to make my way up to the seattle area and and check out without a cause finally you know like i i want to go to another butch versus gore i want to go to a big gay brunch i want to go to the polyam cult mansion and fucking yell my ass off as billy dixon chokes out ill o'neill on the streets of motherfucking brooklyn like i i am just chomping at the bit to get back out there amongst um the live pro wrestling scene and really just take it all in because, you know, I looking back at the beginning of the pandemic, that was just the tip of the iceberg and it's exploded so much during the course of the pandemic that mm-hmm. I, I have felt I've, I've loved watching all of the events from home, mm-hmm. you know, but I have felt such a strong, desire pulling me towards being at these shows live and seeing these moments live that I am just chomping at the bit to get back in, into crowds um, safely, mm-hmm. mind you, because yeah. I'm still high risk as you, the inhaler thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm ready to get back out there and, 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 and be at shows because like whenever, whenever COVID shut things down, like we were only on like episode like 20 something. Yeah. We're at episode 100 now. I've done the majority of this show during the pandemic, and I have not really had the chance to meet a lot of the people that I've had on this show and that I've gotten to know through the course of doing the show. I just want to see the people that I'm friendly with now. <laughs> you know, it's that's that may be a selfish thing to say, but I, I want to see him be young again. I want to finally meet Billy in person. Uh-huh. You know, I want to hug low again, <laughs> you know, like these sort of things, like those are the things I want to do, um, personally. Um, but I think other than that, it's just, I don't know if there's anything else really. I'm just ready to get back into the habit yeah, of being there for these things and being able to share them with, with you and with other people that, that love pro wrestling as much as, as I do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, um, I definitely wanted to ask a few personal questions, so I guess it was very fitting that we started this off talking about vulnerability. Hooray! Um, But, so, a few months back, you came out as non-binary on your podcast. I did. What factors went into your decision to come out? Well... Like I said on on that episode, like this is something that I've been kind of like playing with in my head a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of how I see myself as it comes to gender, you know, and even looking back further, like it's something that I think I've struggled with for 
a long time, like going back to childhood personally. Like I didn't really, like I knew that I was, um, in terms of my sexual identity, um, I, I think from the time that I saw gold dust, I kind of knew there was something a little bit different mm-hmm. about me. I, I obviously I didn't come out until I was 19. Um, but you know, there was always something there. I think I just never really explored it that much. Um, but it also didn't really provide a lot of like negativity for me in, mm-hmm. in thinking about it. Gender on the other hand, let me tell you, <laughs> growing up in South Georgia, <laughs> you bottle up a lot. Um, like I think I can remember distinctly a number of times, you know, from like elementary school age all the way up until like after I came out where, you know, I would express to people that were close to me, you know, in really emotional moments that, you know, sometimes I wish I had been born a girl because, um, I never really fit the idea of masculinity that toxic was presented to me. Hmm? Toxic masculinity. Yes. Sorry uh, no, to no, interrupt. <laughs> it, was, it, it was definitely toxic in, in ways. I, I mean, you grow up in a town that worships the football team. Um, I think that that's usually a thing that happens, um, especially when you try to play for that football team. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yeah, like I, there were just a lot of moments where I recognized that I didn't fit the idea of masculinity that was being presented to me in my environment. You know, my parents were great in terms of like being open and accepting. I mean, I had the luxury of growing up with a gay father, you know, and I think that provided me a lot of like cultural touchstones that a lot of other kids where I grew up didn't have because they didn't have a, a human face to put on gay people really, you know? And, and granted this is like late, like the nineties that we're talking about also where attitudes towards gay people are way more vitriolic or way more dismissive. So, um, yeah, that was a luxury for me, I would say, but at the same time, you know, I, i had a lot of people outside of my household that, were pointing to me not being manly, me not being a man uh, in the way that I should be, you know, and, and it really made me kind of look at for the longest time, like, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be a man? And, and that really pushed me in multiple instances to really think that I should have been born a girl. But, you know, I think that's, you know, looking back at that for myself, I, I can tell myself that that was a naive way of looking at it because, you know, that's still treading along the binary in in a way but back then like non-binary wasn't a thing in in my world you yeah. know like that wasn't like not being one or the other was not an option and you know as i grew up and moved out of the south and or at least out of like the rural south and and you know lived in in other cities and settled in atlanta for as long as i did like I learned about other perspectives. I learned about other communities. And, you know, I think it, I had put those thoughts to bed for a bit um, and hadn't really brought them back up until, you know, probably after we met in a lot of ways. You yeah. Know? So, you know, it took some time to kind of work through that and really 
like realize where I fit or where I believe I fit rather. And yeah, it just kind of came to a head there and just, I had to say it. Yeah. I had to voice it. And you know, it, 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 um, I think doing it on the podcast was just another way of me, like, you know, opening myself up to the audience Mm -hmm. in a way, but also it was like, it was a way for me to say it in a way that I was not going to be able to take it back. Yeah. It was very much like cementing it there. Like it's on, it's recorded. It's (laughs) out publicly. Like, and I know that like all that identity is fluid, is fluid, you know? And so I don't think it would be a hundred percent like me walking back anything, but it just, it just gave me a way of being like, okay, you're committing to do this Mm -hmm. and you're going to, you're going to put this out there and you know, you're going to feel better about it, but you have to push yourself to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Like, even growing up here in the Portland metro area in Oregon, like, definitely wasn't super accepting. It was really difficult for me. Um, This was before I even realized I was non-binary. Of course, I'm just talking about me coming out as bisexual. (laughs) Um, Then when I finally did come out to them, like, I never considered myself straight. So, like, I've always been out in that sense but I never like formally told my dad but when I did finally tell my dad and my stepmom when I was 21 I said I'm queer because like I had a feeling that there was more going on there um but I didn't I didn't have a way to describe it so I just Mm -hmm. said I'm queer and my stepmom very naively says you don't have to put it that way (laughs) (laughs) um But yeah, it's even been a struggle having been out since 2014 at this point as non-binary using they, them pronouns. It's still a struggle with me and my, that side of my family. So Mm. Um, anyway, back to you. (laughs) Yes. Do you have any personal goals that you're working towards? I just want to... I just want to be a positive voice in in this world, mm-hmm. like in this world of, of pro wrestling, to keep you know doing my part to push it in the right direction. You know, whether it be inclusivity or you know not taking itself so fucking seriously. <laughs> um, you know, I want to keep making wrestling more accessible for for other people to feel like they belong in it and. You know, that has been amazing to see the people that, that have created those spaces for, for the people that have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to keep growing the show's profile. Um, I want to keep having awesome conversations with people and getting to know people that I eventually will get to see wrestle live. Um, you know, I think I want to, in a professional sense, I want obviously I want to get to a place where, you know, this, I mean, this already feels like a career because I, I make it one, mm-hmm. but, but, um, you know, I just want to keep working to kind of leave my footprint in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, a very existential thing to say, especially considering that I'm not necessarily the first person that jumps to like you have to leave a legacy or you'll be forgotten like we're all gonna be forgotten or whatever um but 
I just want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say that I did something good um, with with what I have been able to do here. You know, when I first kind of when I first joined Outsports before this podcast even started, like in my brain, I was thinking that I wanted to be the gay Dave Meltzer. <laughs> Which isn't even true because I'm not fucking gay. I'm bi-pan <laughs> and queer as fuck. And I'm non-binary. So, better put, I wanted to be the queer Dave Meltzer. <laughs> and as I have like grown, both in myself and the community that I've covered, and getting to know the people that, I've, that I do cover, and to see like the fan communities that have grown around it, I realized that trying to be the gay Dave Meltzer was the worst goal I could have set for myself mm. in multiple for multiple reasons. One, because I mean Dave Meltzer has a track record during the, the Wrestling Observer days of um, you know, being very transphobic in some of the jokes that he wrote back before, mm. you know, the idea of before trans identities were more normalized and you couldn't more easily make fun of them or use them as punchlines and jokes. Um you know, but I think Really, to me, it's it it also factors in like I don't want to be the queer version of someone else. Yeah, I want to be me, and I want there to be a fucking straight version of me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my goal now. It's just to keep doing what what I do in a way that, to borrow a phrase from Envy Young, makes me undeniable. In mm-hmm. the same way that so many other people that I have had on this show or that I've seen emerge um, in the world of pro wrestling media have been able to do, like, that's that's my goal. Like, I want people, when they think of queer pro wrestling, I want to be one of the names that they think of in terms of the people covering it, documenting it, memorializing it, mm-hmm. and creating that um, historical record for people to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... My next couple of questions are a little bit more lighthearted. Okay. This first one, I can't even answer it, but you have a way better detail-oriented memory than I do. So, because I'm pretty sure this happened with me. But what was the last movie you saw in the theaters? Oh, wow. And if you don't remember, totally okay. I just had to test you. I, think I don't it, even remember. I think it was Spider-Man Far From Home. Because that was I because that, that was whenever I was writing for Superhero Hype, the comic book mm, website, mm-hmm. um back in like 20 like end of 2019 before I left that website <laughs> for reasons <laughs> um has that payroll up to date um so, yeah, that was when I was writing for them, and I remember that, you know, obviously, I, like, for those that don't know, like, Casey's not necessarily into the superhero movies that much, outside of a couple of them. I think Black Panther and Captain Marvel were the only two that held your attention. There have got to be others. There might have been. But I know those two <laughs> for sure, because those are the two that we went to see in the theater together. Yeah. Um. But, you know, covering that website, I went to go watch the movies um, as they came out. And I remember the last two films that I went to see were Avengers Endgame 
and then uh, Far From Home because that was the first Marvel movie after uh, Endgame. Mm. So, and I think that might have been, and then that was also the last movie that I saw before I left superhero hype. And I don't think that we've been to a theater since then. Yeah. Because we, right after, like soon after that came out, we ended up moving to our current place and we didn't go to see a movie theater in our current place because three months into it, the whole world shut down. Yeah. So, I think we had plans to go to like the Hollywood theater in Portland that shows like oh you're right actually that reminds me it yes Far From Home was not the last movie that we that I saw in a theater because we went to go see The Lighthouse together oh that's right yes we went to go okay. see The Lighthouse which is vastly different from Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home uh still outstanding but vastly different uh yeah so that was the that was the last film we went to see because that was the first time we went to the Hollywood theater here in Portland yeah yeah well another fun question for you Mm-hmm. If you could do anything in the world for a day, what would it be? How oh, the expression on your face. <laughs> I would probably, and I know that this might seem cliche for people that cover pro wrestling. I wouldn't mind having one day as like some kind of performer. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, back before I got into the, the journalistic field. Um, you know, I think like a lot of other people that grew up watching pro wrestling, like I wanted to give it a shot. You know, I did backyard shit. I, you know, had a (laughs) passion for it. I even tried to start up like a fucking backyard promotion in my hometown because like I was that person who was trying to organize backyard wrestling. (laughs) And you broke your arm. I did break my arm. Yeah, that's a sorry. No, it's okay. I mean that that's a thing that happened. I, I broke my arm back at wrestling because I was dumb. Um, but um, but no, like even back then, like after even after I broke my arm, like I still had a passion for giving it a shot. You know, like I like I did like I talked about in the episode that we had with AC Mac on the show. You know, I looked into WWA four as a school to train at in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. I I still have the the instructional DVDs that they send that they sent out at one time with Elix Skipper showing you how to do a suplex or take <laughs> a back bump, you know? As like a preliminary thing. Um like it was something that I really wanted to do but I never felt the kind of confidence in myself to be able to do it whether it be because like I've always been kind of a pudgy uh person or because of my asthma or I always found a physical limitation to kind of keep me from from jumping at the chance to do it mm. and then there was also financial issues just because like i was i used to be poor i still am poor technically in terms of like stuff you know like comparatively i think but um like i used to be like way more poor than i am and being able to scrounge up a thousand dollars to go to rest school whenever you're worried about whether you're going to pay the electric bill or eat dinner mm-hmm you know, or can afford your asthma medication, you know, like some things take precedent even up till like now, you know, like I still think about like, I wonder, I wonder if I could just train and I just, I could just prove to myself that I could have one match. I think that would be enough for me to satiate that Mm. desire. Um, I don't know that outside of that, um, you know, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't mind like trying, my hand at some other facets of pro wrestling, 
you know, whether it be promotion or commentary or um, not ring announcing. My voice isn't strong enough for that. Um, <laughs> I get hoarse very easily, if you can't tell. But um, I don't know. Like, the, I think that would be the main thing would be like I, if I could do for just one day, like have that that moment to be able to prove to myself that I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that would be something that would be very satisfying for me in an existential way. Um, so yeah, I think that would be it. I can't think of anything else off of my head. Maybe if I could have been Steve Young for a day <laughs> back in the 90, back in the 94 or 49ers days. Yeah. Well, what's something you would never do again? Other than break my arm backyard wrestling? Yeah. Um, hmm. God, that's a good question. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to rack my brain. Hmm. I won't say it's cheating if you do say not breaking your arm. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like there's something else that's like way, like way more like weighty in a way. <laughs> like, so, like. You know, I could say, like, I maybe not... Well, no, I can't say that either, because I, I definitely am down to get into a shouting match with Turning Point USA, Fox. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just stick with the with the broken arm thing, I think, like, right now, because I can't think of anything else off, off the top of my head. And also, like, that's a permanent thing that's stuck with me since I did it. Yeah. Like, that bone is curved, because that's the way it healed back. <laughs> and that shit's not getting straightened out, ever. <laughs> I have to live with that for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you for picking that one. Um, well, what's been your favorite date with me? Mm. <laughs> As are our we, cat screams. Are we going to break that down on a wrestling and non-wrestling thing, or is it just anything? I was just thinking anything. But. Okay. Um one of my favorites that always stands out to me because it is wrestling related <laughs> was um, the, I think it was the first Ring of Honor show that we went to. Yeah. Because it was, it wasn't a TV taping because I know they did, they used to do TV tapings in Atlanta um, pre-pandemic, you know, every once in a while. But we went to, what was essentially was a, a house show sort of deal. Like I know they recorded it for DVD or something like that, but um where we got to see Dalton Castle versus Juice Thunder Liger. Yes. And that I remember that that night specifically because one Dalton Castle was the person I had talked up the most heading into that show. Uh-huh. Because of Dalton Castle being just being fucking Dalton Castle. Um but also because like this was the one and only time I got to see Liger live mm. before he retired last year. Um so that was a very, very special thing for me as well. And I really enjoy being able to share that night with you. And especially for it to turn out to be such an awesome show. Because, <laughs> like, we, yeah, we went to see Dalton and, and Liger. But, like, that was also the show where we got to see the, um, the I think it turned out to be, like, an Iron Man match between Colt Cabana and Jay Lethal. That was just outstanding. Um or I think it was the best two out of three that turned into an Iron Man match at the end of it. Either way, <laughs> the match was long and it was great. Um, 
but most importantly was like that was really the first time that I got to take you to a live show and to see you like fall in love with at least some aspects of pro wrestling <laughs> that night was amazing to see just the same way that like you know I think whenever we started playing magic during the pandemic seeing you fall in love with that game that you have like been in, in entrenched in for as long as you have it's it has long that, yeah it's that same feeling like you're seeing someone that you love fall in love with something that you love too mm-hmm. and that was like super outstanding um to experience alongside you non-wrestling related um I really liked that we got to go to Six Flags whenever their park was closed. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't have to wait in lines to ride all the fucking roller coasters. That was dope. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not just like superficial. Like, yeah, the roller coasters were fucking sick. Um, <laughs> I think um, I think the, the, the date, the night that we had in Decatur, whenever you told me that you were starting testosterone... Mm. was another one that sticks out to me because that was like a moment where I feel like was a turning point in our relationship just because, you know, like you told me and like, I think that, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think, you know, our discussions after that night were like, you know, you were afraid to tell me in, in a way, and please tell me if I'm wrong in saying these things. I wasn't necessarily afraid to tell you. Um, I was more anticipating that I was more anticipating that you wouldn't want to continue dating me. Mm. Um, Just because like when we first started dating, I was, I mean, I dressed mask, but I was still like pretty femme presenting. Um, And, you know, just being a female-bodied person, dating mostly male-bodied, male-identified people. Um, They don't tend to like when you want to masculinize yourself. (laughs) Um, So I just wasn't really sure how it was going to go necessarily with me telling you. And it would have been fine, like, if you hadn't been interested. Um, I'm glad that you were still interested, obviously. Yeah. Um, Cause here we are like five over five years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So it wasn't necessarily, f- I mean, it was f- like maybe fear of rejection in some small amount, but also like if you were going to reject me over that, like it, it wouldn't have been, obviously it wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been compatible. So it was kind of a make or break moment, I think. But it that's that definitely is a time that I think back to a lot. Yeah. In our relationship. Yeah. It's like of course, like I I I love you for you and I want you to be the best version of of you that you want yourself to be. So like far be it for me to be like, No <laughs> You can't get the the man hormone or anything like that. And like fuck no, fuck that shit. Like I love you for you and I you know you decide who you are and I'm still going to love you. And I, I think back to that moment also because, um, that, that sushi place had damn good octopus, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh God, I've made fun of you for your lack of ability to use chopsticks. 
Not anymore. Yes, not anymore. <laughs> That's what you get for dating a Japanese person. I have learned. <laughs> um, what's been your happiest moment with me? Hmm. That Dalton Castle match was pretty good. <laughs> but I think really um, moving out west with you. Mm-hmm. Even if it was to fucking Reading, California. Yeah, even if it was to like fucking state of Jefferson bullshit, 115, breaking down the heat or breaking down the air conditioner every fucking day of the summer, Reading, California. Like, you know, like I think that it was a completely new chapter in my life. And honestly, I'll be frank, like if I hadn't moved out west with you, I don't know if I would be doing this podcast right now. You know, I was in, very much in a rut back in Atlanta. I was not. Working in journalism, I was trying to break in here and there, but, you know, I was very ignorant to what I needed to do to get into the field. And, you know, I was still working as like a server and bartender um, doing like, you know, live stream shows that pulled in like three people on YouTube and fucking Facebook Live back on Facebook Live was something (laughs) that people did on a regular basis. So like, you know, I think that without coming out west and and having the the issues that that we faced in reading you know because like i'll be i'll be real when we moved to reading like i couldn't find a job in reading you know Mm -hmm. i couldn't find a restaurant job so i was forced to like okay well i have to double down on this other stuff and i will forever be grateful to the people at pace magazine you know shout out uh garrett and scott and and josh you know, and, and Shane, all the people that I worked with there for giving me a shot as an as a remote intern, <laughs> which is something that I found out later that doesn't always happen whenever it comes to Pace Magazine magazine internships. But for them taking a chance on me and allowing me the opportunity to really um, prove myself mm-hmm. and, and also for the chance to really cover pro wrestling in the way that I do now for the first time ever by putting out that um golden lovers reunion piece so yeah like not only like yes it 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 definitely pushed me into my professional field more but it really represented a a new chapter in my life that i was starting with you Mm -hmm. specifically and you know i i cherish it every minute of the day like i know i'm you know a country's length away from a lot of my friends and a lot of my family but um, I can't imagine going another route yeah. at this point. Well, I hardly know what to say. <laughs> I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed interviewing you for this so far. So I've had fun being on the other side of the, <laughs> of the aisle on this. Um, so my last question for you is... Will you marry me? Are you fucking are you fucking joking right now? No, I'm not. <laughs> um this ring probably doesn't fit because it's just something that is like family stuff and I want to go actual ring shopping with you. But I didn't want to not have Fuck yes. something prepared. <laughs> Fuck yes. God oh my god, I'm gonna fucking cry again <laughs> on this show. Oh my god. I love you. I love you t- I love you too. I love you too. Sorry, I don't know how you're going to end the show after this. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Like, fuck. Uh, that is... Oh, I... Mm, not... 
Not expecting that. I've been waiting for a good time. <laughs> then the fucking pandemic hit. I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? Like, we're just stuck at home all day. And then I guess I end up proposing anyway at home. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I, I will marry you. And I don't know a way to end this show better, <laughs> honestly. Um, thank you, everyone that has joined the show for the last 100 episodes. Um, I Now I'm just wondering what you're going to do for 200. <laughs> Good, you gotta, you know, two oh, God, I guess I have time. to start planning. <laughs> <laughs> okay i just i I know i know i love you i love you so much um yeah i'm not even gonna go into the normal ending thing for this episode this is just i this wow i am just completely caught off guard in the best way um (laughs) everyone thank you for a hundred episodes um i'm we're going to be here for a hundred more, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be here until the wheels fall off of this thing, though. But um, I love you all. Not as much as I love them, but I love you all. <laughs> and um, come back next week for whatever the hell we got to do, get to put together while we're on vacation <laughs> out in Jersey. Uh, if you're at Paris is Bumping, come say hi to us. We'll be there. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, y'all... Take care and and uh, see you next week. Stay safe and well. Sure. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.